Revelation 2 verse 1 says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the golden candlesticks. This is Jesus speaking here. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5, we find the command of Christ. Here's the first part of it. Remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come quickly, uh, come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Here the Jesus is addressing the church founded in the city of Ephesus. Verse 4 says he has somewhat against them because they have left their first love. Then he commands them this, remember and repent. That's the title of the sermon tonight, remember and repent. Lord, I pray tonight you would guide each of us to, Lord, a place where we're very honest with ourselves over our own spiritual condition. Lord, there are those who I pastor who are very indifferent toward growth and truth. They've become very robotic in their faith. Lord God, speak directly to each of those hearts this evening. Lord, help us to peel away the callousness of carelessness. Lord, that fallow soil in our heart that has just grown tired over time. Lord God, we pray that you would bring the sledgehammer and break up those those clumps of, of dirt that are doing nothing for the kingdom of heaven. Lord God, light a fire inside of our hearts this evening as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What kind of people need to repent? When I think of the word repent, I think of a jaded sinner who has dipped his soul into a sinful lifestyle. A man or woman whose life has found its way to a broken emptiness and even a dark depression. This person repents from a life of unbelief and sin and turns to Christ for salvation like many did in our services this morning. When I think of those who need to repent, my mind goes to Bible characters like Jacob when he wrestled with God or David after he slept with Bathsheba. My mind goes to the story of the citizens of Nineveh after they heard 
Jonah's sermon. I think of the woman at the well who left her water pot, ran into the city, and uh, repented and turned to Christ. I think of the thief on the cross that we highlighted this morning in our sermon. Or maybe when I think of someone who needs to repent, I think of Saul on his way to Damascus to uh, persecute Christians when he's knocked off his horse by a light and his life is changed. If you were to ask what kind of people need to repent, you generally do not think of people who are faithful to church People who are out soul winning and parsing doctrine and patiently contending for the faith. Generally, those who need to repent are not, though, not thought to be pastors who daily and even weekly study the Bible. Or deacons who faithfully support the pastor in their role and serve the needs of the church family. When you think of people who need to repent, you generally don't think of life group leaders who faithfully plan and, pray and prepare lessons to be taught, or nursery workers who sacrifice so that parents can sit in peace and enjoy a church service. But Jesus said to these faithful church members at Ephesus that they were the ones who needed to repent. So that brings me to this question this evening for you. When was the last time you repented? When was the last time you repented? I'm speaking to the second generation Christians and third generation Christians who are growing up in a home where all they know is Jesus and His death on the cross. And they've heard it since they were little. I'm speaking to Christians who have been saved 30 and 40 years, who are faithful to church week in and week out. I'm speaking to church staff. I'm speaking to deacons. I'm speaking to bus workers. I'm speaking to nursery workers. When was the last time that you truly repented? Remember, repentance is the changing of one's heart that ultimately leads to a change of one's actions. Your actions will not stay changed unless you allow God to truly change your heart. Can I say from experience this evening that changing one's personal integrity or character for the better is one of the hardest tasks that any Christian can take on? You see somebody today, probably they're going to be struggling with the same um, uh, problems and same sins and same errors and same faults in their life 20 years from now. People, uh, they get into a rut in life and they generally don't change. Husbands who have a hard time loving their wives today generally have a hard time 20 years from now loving their wives. Wives who are bossy and dictatorial toward their husbands today uh, generally have a problem 20 years from now being bossy and dictatorial toward their husbands. Uh, Christians who uh, have a habit sin in their life that they just can't seem to let go today, 20 years from now, uh, probably they're still going to be battling and dealing with those same habit sins in their life because change of one's character is one of the hardest things for someone to take on and accomplish. In order to do this, you have to commit to a lifestyle of repentance. And this is exactly what Christ challenged the church of Ephesus to do. 
Let's look at three observations out of Christ's challenge to the church of Ephesus as we consider His command to remember and repent. Number one tonight, notice the Lord's approval of the church. The Lord's approval of the church. Now, anytime I read the first three verses of Revelation chapter 2, I am amazed at how well run this church was. This was a church that seemed to have it all together. And I mean all together. A little bit later in the sermon, we'll get into the history of the church. But let me just say that if the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 existed today in America, it would be the model church that every church in the region and probably every church in the country looked to on how to do church. The church of Ephesus, they had it down. Let me tell you, corporately, the church of Ephesus was the model church. Why is that? Because they were able to provide guidance, direction, and they had their methodology for growth down. Why? Well, because letter A, we see they were a serving church. They were a serving church. Look with me at Revelation 2 and verse 2. Jesus says to them, I know thy works and thy labor. These were not people who just showed up to a handful of services a week and then checked out of their responsibility to the Lord the rest of the time. Corporately, this was a church full of Christians who were working and laboring and striving for the mission of Christ and the church. They were involved in their churches outreach program. They were teaching solid doctrine in the church's Bible studies. They were active in every way they could find to be active. Yet, these Christians were called upon by Jesus to repent. Not only were they a serving church, letter B, we see they were a steadfast church. A steadfast church. Look back at Revelation 2 and look at verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. So they were a patient people. Look down at verse 3. And hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Boy, this church would have had a verse like Galatians 6 9 memorized. And be not weary and well doing for in due season ye shall reap if ye Think not. This is a church who uh, just kept on going, kept on moving, never tired, never grow weary, never grew weary, but uh, just kept on doing that which was right for the Lord. At the writing of the book of Revelation, the church was somewhere between 40 and 50 years old. White Oak Baptist Church is between 40 and 50 years old. And so the church of Ephesus at the writing of Revelation 2 and the challenge of Jesus was right at the same age that White Oak Baptist Church is at this current time. They had learned, the church of Ephesus had learned how to let things come in God's timing. They had learned to persevere through hardships and trials. The church of Ephesus had men, women, and families that were solid, steadfast Christians who, for the sake of the name of Christ, had not fainted, but had stayed faithful in their place. Yet these faithful, serving, steadfast Christians were called upon by Jesus Christ to repent. Not only were they a serving church, 
And a steadfast church, letter C, we see they were a separated church. A separated church. Look back with me at Revelation 2 and look at verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor, that's them serving, and thy patience, that's the steadfastness. Look at this next part of the verse. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They had to learn how to parse doctrine and could very well tell who was a sheep and who was a wolf wearing sheep's clothing. Now, let's break this down a little bit further as far as being a separated church. They had separated themselves from false doctrine. They had separated themselves from false doctrine. Look back at verse 2. The verse goes on and says, and, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, this wasn't just uh, Paul's opinion or John's opinion or, or, or Peter's opinion. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself is the one saying, you have held in trial those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You are all over it. You know how to tell the difference between someone who's teaching teaching doctrine that's true, and someone who's teaching doctrine that's false. If you believed false doctrine and you showed up to this church and tried to wiggle your way in and teach a class or have influence in the church, let me tell you, you didn't stand a chance. This church had a group of men and women who knew truth inside and out, and they would call you out in the slightest of error and send you packing down the road. Through the years, we've had people come in and try to sow seeds of bad doctrinal doctrine in our church. And I'm glad to say that for the 43 years this church has been here, under the leadership of the three pastors we've had and the strong men and strong women who make up this church, when doctrinal error has found its way through people coming in, just like the church of Ephesus, there have been Christians who stood up for truth and said, not in our house, you take that down the road. We don't believe a works-based salvation here. We believe that salvation is a gift of God by the grace of God and our faith in that grace. We're not going to believe a false doctrine, a false teaching in this church. We're not going to let false doctrine seep in at White Oak Baptist Church. And just like the church of Ephesus, White Oak Baptist Church stands, uh, in my opinion, shoulder and head and shoulders above the rest of the churches in this city for being doctrinally pure, doctrinally strong, doctrinally sound. We don't let false doctrine in our church. And the Lord praised the church of Ephesus for that. But they were not only separated from false doctrine, they were separated from false deeds. Look down at verse number 6. Verse 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Jesus says this, Which I also hate. Now, we do not know much about the Nicolaitans. Outside of the two instances in Revelation 2, they are not mentioned. But we know that their deeds or their behavior was filled with sinful error. Even Jesus himself said that he hated the deeds of these people. Many dissenters from churches like this one throw stones at churches and pastors who take a hard stand against sects of Christianity that are flat out wrong and leading people into sin. 
They don't like when a church takes a hard stand against false doctrine and calls it for what it is. But here, uh, the church of Ephesus had called out the Nicolaitans by name, and Jesus praised them for that and said, good job for taking a stand against churches uh, or uh, uh, religious followings, religious groups that are evil. Many churches want salvation in Jesus, and then they want to live their lives with the sin of the world just dripping off of them. Jesus commanded the church of Ephesus, or rather commended the church of Ephesus, for hating their deeds. Hating their deeds. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in your Bibles. Hold your place in Revelation 2. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 6. They had chosen, and rightfully so, to separate themselves from false doctrine and false deeds or behaviors, and Jesus commended them for doing that. 2 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye... What's that next word, church? Separate. You know what it means? That means you put space between you and them. Who are we separating from? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Some time back I went down to the municipality of Stratford and met with some of our government officials down. I've been wanting to get a meeting with our mayor. I've not been able to successfully get that lined up, but I have met with some of our other officials. And I was informed by one of the officials of our city that there is a group of ecumenical uh, preachers and and, and, and uh, clergy members who meet together uh, for the religious... Uh, 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 religious calendar of the city. And I was pushed to attend. And I very politely smiled and said, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm not going to sit in a room with someone who's Catholic or Muslim or someone who teaches the Bible in a way that is different than we believe the Bible to teach and uh, is doctrinally sound and shake hands and be warm. And I'm not going to be rude, but I have no room for that. Why? Because as a church, we separate ourselves not only from false doctrine, we separate ourselves from those who are involved in false deeds. I wholeheartedly believe that if you and I were to spend a handful of months in this church, we would likely look at this church and say, Wow! We have found the church! Have you ever moved to a new area and had to find a church to attend? Ever gone through that? And you know what? Just because they have the nicest building doesn't mean they're the best church to attend. Right? Boy, I attended a church down in Maryland for a time... Nicest church auditorium, independent Baptist church auditorium I've ever been in in my life. But there was a spiritual sickness that ran like rot through the core of that church. Now, I've been in other churches, man, where their building smells musty and moldy and, and uh, needs renovated. And they don't have any money to do it. And you walk in and you look at the facilities and you just kind of go, oh, I don't know about this. And you walk out at the end of the service and you say, this place is awesome. These people love the Lord. These people are sincere. These people uh, really have it all together. And I think if you had gone and moved to the city of Ephesus during this time and had attended this church for a handful of months to try to get an idea of this church, you would have said, this is the church to join. We have found the church of Ephesus. Boy, they are separated. They are steadfast. They are serving. This is the church 
for our family, but the Lord said, I'm in danger of taking away your candle. I'm in danger of disenfranchising you because there's something very great missing in your church. Number one, the Lord's approval of the church. Number two, we see the Lord's accusation against the church. Look with me at verse number four. Revelation 2, verse 4. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. To fully understand all that this verse means, we need to understand this church's founding and a little bit of its rich history. Letter A, notice their spiritual infancy. Their spiritual infancy. Take your Bibles over to Acts chapter 19, if you would. We're going to look at a handful of verses in Acts chapter 19. And we preached through the book of Acts a year or two ago and uh, highlighted at, at this passage then. But this will be a good refresher for those of you that were here and, and, and be good for you to read it, those of you that were not here. The church of Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul while he was on his second missionary journey. Look at Acts 19, look at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. That would be John the Baptist. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, uh, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Ty Tyrannus. And they, this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, uh, both Jews and and Greek. So, uh, uh, Asia being Asia Minor and Ephesus being in modern day Turkey. And so, uh, Paul was there for two years. What did he do? He went into the synagogue and for three months he disputed with the, uh, the, those in the synagogue exactly what the scriptures had to say. And when those people in the synagogue were fed up with him and the leadership kicked him out, he took those that believed. He went down to the school of Tyrannus, who we believe to be, have been a rich man there in Ephesus who had become a believer. And he used that school as a church building and as a seminary to train people in the Word of God. Now, if you know much about the Apostle Paul, he did not stay in any one place very long. As far as we know, this is the longest he stayed anywhere. Paul stayed for two years. He invested in these people. He trained these people. This church was founded by the Apostle Paul. Now, let me just back up and say this by point of reference. 
I know the founding pastor of this church very well. I speak to him on the phone on a regular basis. We have him in to preach for us once a year. I go up and preach in the chapel of the college that he runs. We have an amazing man who God brought to this city to start our church. But as great as Barry Brown is, he was not the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul founded their church. What a rich heritage. Many believe that John the Apostle was likely their pastor as well for a time. And Polycrates claimed that John's body was buried in the city of Ephesus. Many biblical historians have speculated that he also pastored the church for a season while he was taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine walking into the church there in Ephesus and John the Apostle is your pastor and there is the mother of Jesus sitting right over there? For, for, for a time. That would have been great. Paul was their pastor. Likely John was their pastor. But that's not all. We know that Timothy was their pastor. Turn over to 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 3. 1 Timothy 1. And we're going to be back in 1 Timothy toward the end of the sermon. So when you get there, please, I really want everybody to turn to these passages and see this. Don't just let me read them for you. I want your eyes to be laid on the Scripture this evening. 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 3. And then we'll be back in 1 Timothy toward the end of the message. So put a marker there as well. 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. Why does Paul want Timothy to stay in Ephesus? Now, for point of reference, this is still 40 years prior to the writing of the book of Revelation. Or 30 years prior to the writing of Revelation 2. So, why is it that Paul wants Timothy to stay at Ephesus. It says, When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the hearts of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. So Paul says to Timothy, listen, I want you to stay here. I want you to pastor the church because I sense that with in this church, there is doctrinal upheaval. There is doctrinal confusion. Uh, there is a misunderstanding of truth. And I want you to go to, to, to Ephesus, Timothy. I want you to stay. And I want you to get them on track doctrinally. I want you to help establish them in that doctrine. So st stop and think about this for a minute. The church of Ephesus had uh, Paul as their pastor. Likely had John as their pastor. And had Timothy as a pastor, what a rich heritage. I'm going to tell you right now that Barry Brown, Michael Peslak, and Richard Lejeune do not hold a candlestick to Paul the Apostle, John the Apostle, and Timothy, pastors, preacher, uh, 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 Paul's preacher boy. What a start this church had. This is why the church had much to be commended by Jesus. This is why they were a serving church. This is why they were a steadfast church. And this is why they were a separated church. But something had been lost. As I studied and studied and studied for this sermon, I began to see some parallels between the church of Ephesus and White Oak Baptist Church. And I think for some of us here tonight... The correction the Lord offered the church of Ephesus could be offered to us also. 
What is it that they had lost? Why do they need to repent? Letter B, we see their spiritual indifference. Their spiritual indifference. Go back to Revelation 2 and verse 4. Jesus says to this church, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Jesus said to this church, what happened? You used to be in love with me, but now you are not. Hey, church of Ephesus, Jesus says, what is going on? Remember when we first met? Remember how crazy you were about me? Remember when you just couldn't get enough of me? Remember when you couldn't wait until the next church service to gather around and hear Paul or John or Timothy teach and preach that truth? Remember when you first bought, uh, brought that loved one to church and saw them give their life to Christ? Remember when uh, you burned uh, those books of divination and you sold out to the Lord and that fire was lit in your soul and you just could not get enough enough of the Word of God. You just could not get enough with truth. You sang the songs of praises and tears ran down your cheeks. You, you, you praised the God of heaven. You lifted up your hands in, in, in holiness and praised to God and your heart swelled and you felt the only way I could be closer to heaven is if I were to leave this world and stand in the presence of the Lord. Remember when it used to be that way, Ephesus. What happened to you? What does it mean that have left your first love. I posed that question to a handful of pastor friends and family this week as I prepared this sermon. What does it mean to have left your first love? It means that you've become indifferent toward the other party. I see it all the time in relationships. I see children who grow indifferent toward their parents. They don't care how their selfish actions are going to hurt their parents. They don't care about their parents' correction anymore. It rolls right off their back like water off a duck's back. They're indifferent. I see it in marriages. In marriages where a husband and a wife quit loving each other and they just simply coexist. Maybe they've even moved into a different bedroom. They hurt the other one's feelings and they don't even care anymore. They're not going to divorce because they've been in it too long to go through the embarrassment and all of the expensive process of divorce, but they're indifferent toward one another. And then as a pastor, as your pastor, I watch this same thing take place with some of you. Some of you quit caring a long time ago about your one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ. It's been years, or maybe even never, since you had a walk with God. 
that prayer time that used to be sweet, you'll pray in a spot of desperation, but yeah, that's about it. The Word of God is open and preached, and it does not matter how much Pastor Lejeune prays and prepares and plans and, and bathes his sermons in prayer and prays for some of you by name as he gets ready to get up and preach. Your arms are crossed and you have a bless me if you can attitude, whatever, I'm here because this is what I do. But I've plateaued in my faith and I will go nowhere else. I will be nothing else. I again ask you this question. When was the last time that you actually repented? You changed your heart and as a result, your actions changed with it. Remember, when I was in Bible college, I had gotten to a place of just going through the motions. I had quit reading my Bible. I had quit praying. I was going to class, going to work, going to bed, going to class, going to work, going to bed. Doing my ministry on the weekend, I was a robot. I'd sit, hear five chapel sermons a week, two sermons on Sunday morning, hear my peers preach on a bus on the way to and from Chicago. I was hearing, oh, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12 sermons a week. They were all going in one ear and out the other. And I remember a professor preached in chapel one day, and he said this, he said, some of you have grown indifferent toward preaching in God's Word. He said this, he said, you ought to care that you no longer care. When he said that, I put my head down and I began to weep. He said, it ought to bother you that it no longer bothers you. He said, when I get done preaching this sermon, some of you need to get up and come down to this altar and your prayer needs to be this, Lord, help me to start caring again. Give me a broken heart again. Break me anew. Give me that flame back, Lord. Give me that first love. Indifference settles into the heart of a Christian. It becomes a disease. We plateau for the Lord and we no longer move forward in our love for Him. I want to ask you this question tonight. Have you left your first love? Number three, we see the Lord's admonition to the church. The Lord's admonition to the church. I see three things in this chapter, in this verse, verse 5, the Lord gives us to do in order to rekindle that flame. Let's look at those here. Letter A, we need to remember. Look down at verse number 5, Revelation 2, verse 5. Jesus says to this church who's lost their first love, He says, here's how you get it back. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. From where had they fallen? They had not fallen on any doctrine. Their issue is not truth. 
They parsed the Word of God with great accuracy. They discerned right from wrong very well. They were faithful to attend the church services. They were serving even at the church. Maybe there were deacons there who'd been deacons for decades and been faithful in that role. Maybe the pastor there had been faithful in his role to execute the office by which he had been called. Uh, Maybe there was staff there and they were involved. But the Lord said, you have a heart issue. And He said to get this back, you need to go back and remember from where you had fallen. April, if you could help me for just a moment, I have a bag down here on the front row. If you could bring me that bag, I would greatly appreciate that. I made a decision before I married my wife that if and when our marriage got hard and my feelings for her began to be challenged, I would always have with me a visual cue to help me remember how we had fallen in love. This bag contains every single love letter that my wife wrote me when we were dating. See the heart down in there? Okay. I went through it just a little bit ago to see what I could and couldn't read in church. See that one there? You say, what's inside there, Pastor? You will never know. Amen. You will never know. That's going to stay between me and my bride. Let's see here. See that picture right there? We are just young lovebirds. Uh, yep. Clean shaven. Skinny as a rail and I had hair. Amen? Boy, those are the good old days. You know, that was when I looked good. Not so much anymore. My wife's just as beautiful now as she was then. There was one I wanted to pull out and show you. The summer after we started dating, my wife went home to Peru to be with her mother and left me in the States. And here we are, falling in love with each other, thousands of miles apart. She made me this card, handmade this card here. It's got some things on it from Peru. And this came in the mail and maybe it did or didn't have a scent of perfume on it when it arrived in the mail. That's worn off all these years later. It's dated August 9th, 2005. It says, and, and I've vetted this one, okay? I can read this one in church. We, we were just falling in love, so there's nothing too, too ooey-gooey in this one. Hey, Wapo, how are you doing? It's 9.25 a.m. on Tuesday. I'm sitting in my living room. I didn't tell you this, but now your name is familiar in my home. Do you know why? Maybe because all the time I'm talking about you, I made this kind of Peruvian card for you, and I hope that you like it. I'm enjoying these days with my family, but also I miss you a whole lot, and I know that soon we'll see each other again, and I can't wait for that. Sign, Angela Segura. Well, I changed her last name, amen? (laughs) This bag is kept in the closet of my bedroom. And has been kept in my closet since we got married. You say, well, Pastor, why are you holding on to all of those love letters? Why do you value that bag so much? 
Because if our marriage ever becomes in trouble, or my heart begins to grow cold toward my bride, I want to go back and remember the days when we fell in love with one another. I want to remember. Jesus said, remember from where thou hast fallen. Go back to the days when you were in love with the Lord. Go back to the days where you couldn't get enough out of your Bible. Go back to the days when the tears dropped off your cheeks and landed on the pages of God's Word. Go back to the days where you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you you looked at the clock and said, I can't believe where is the time gone? I just want a little bit more. Go back to the days where you were afraid to open your eyes in prayer because you thought just maybe you were in the throne room of God. Go back to the days where your heart burned as you thought about the Lord. Go back to the days when Amazing Grace would be sung in church and you got so choked up over the words you could hardly finish the song and you just had to sit down and let the tears drip off your cheeks because of how much you were in love with the Lord. Now we sing the hymns and the one word comes right out of our mouth and we don't even know what we're singing. Jesus said, Remember! 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 Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 2, the, the prophet had, had, had been told by the Lord, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousal, espousal, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. The prophet said, hey, there was a day many years ago where I remember you coming after me and chasing me down and pursuing me because you loved me so. Remember. Remember. Not only are we to remember letter B, how is it that we restore that first love? We need to repent. We need to repent. This is where you make up your mind that you're going to make a change. Pivot back to the place where you actively pursue the heart of the Savior. Many years ago, while serving on the staff at Granite Baptist Church, I was the children's pastor there. and There was a family who was very heavily involved in our church. For their sakes, I will not use their names tonight. The husband was secret service agent for Barack Obama and worked to directly protect him. His wife coached our, our, our Christian school's soccer team and helped me as a female counselor at our junior camp. They had two teenage boys who were actively involved in our church's youth group. I was in charge of the soul winning efforts of the youth group, and I personally trained both of his sons on how to lead someone to Christ and was there when one of them led their first soul to Christ. One day, their whole world came crashing down. You see, there was a scandal involving the Secret Service in Latin America where they, one of them did not pay a prostitute for a service, and many of you may remember the news story. Oh, it everything hit the fan. And uh, this, this man, who was a member of our church and attended my Sunday school class with his wife, anytime he was in town, he was at the center of this scandal. It was him who had not paid the woman for her services. 
I remember him coming home. The news media. I'm talking about the national news media surrounding his house. Just down the road from our church. I don't know how he did it. I guess he's secret service. He knows these things. He was able to sneak his family out of their home without being seen by anyone and was able to get away, get to upstate New York where he had family and was able to hide while all of this was going on. Come to find out this man had been living far more than just a double life. This man had a girlfriend in almost every city he went to. Then he'd come home to his wife who loved him, and I mean she adored him. And his two kids, and he would act like the perfect Christian family man. I never saw him after the scandal broke. They moved away. But I did talk to his wife. She was crushed. She said this to me. She said, He has not stopped crying for three days. He's broken over his behavior. I said, Do you think he means it? And she said, I don't know. I said, Are you going to leave him? She said, I don't know yet. This woman ended up staying with her husband. To my knowledge, to this day, they're still married. This man had fallen in love with his wife, they had a beautiful love story, and then he had betrayed her. Oh, I know there are some of you here tonight that hear that story and you think, what an awful person. But when you and I are unfaithful to the Lord, we're compared to adulterers and adulteresses in James 4. Have you fallen away from being in love with the Lord? It's time to repent. Let me just say this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you could turn there with me, please, that would be great. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look with me at verse number 9. This is such an important part of the sermon. Now I rejoice, Paul says, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry for a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Look at verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. As I stand up here tonight and I preach this sermon, and I'm preaching hard this evening, because I'm trying to preach to hearts, it is not enough for you to sit there and feel sorry over how you've grown indifferent and cold toward the Lord. You see, there's this fake repentance that happens in churches like this one all the time. 
And I think this is part of the deception and the problem. Is that we hear a sermon like this and we feel overridden with guilt because our hearts aren't where they really ought to be. And I stand up here and preach and you think, yeah, he's got me. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's true. And guilt and shame comes flooding over our hearts. And we sit there and we say, Lord, help me to do better. But then we walk out and there is no repentance. There's no change. There's no change of our heart. We leave the building exactly the way we were when we came in except we just feel a little bit more guilty about what was preached. And Paul said here, I'm not glad, I don't rejoice that you were made to feel sorry. He said, I rejoice when that sorry, that sorrow worketh worketh repentance. He said, when that brings you to a place where your heart actually changes and your actions actually change, that's where I rejoice. That's where I'm excited. You see, it's not enough for me to stand up here and challenge you about how you have left your first love. You have to get on your knees and make a decision for the Lord that some real change is going to come from your heart that will last. Repent. Repent. It's a changing of the heart that leads to a changing of our actions. Jesus says to this church, He says, I have somewhat against thee. Ye have left your first love. Okay, Lord, what are we to do about it? Well, first of all, you need to go back and remember the time where you were in love with me. And letter B, you need to repent. Letter C. Lastly, look here. We see in verse 5 that you need to repeat. Repeat. Now, I think tonight this is a great way to end this sermon. Look with me at verse number 5 of Revelation 2. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art falling, and repent. Notice this next phrase. And do the first works. Do the first works. Or else, here's the threat, I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlesticks out of his place, except thou repent. Hmm. What are the first works? That had me puzzled. What are the first works? I don't know that I have a solid answer for you. But can I tell you what I think it might be? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. When Timothy arrived at the church of Ephesus, they were doctrinally a mess, and he straightened them out. And then 30 years later, we, we arrive at Revelation 2, and the church is doctrinally straight, but they've lost their heart. I think when Timothy arrived on the scene, the church's heart was in the right place and their doctrine was wrong. And then when Jesus wrote to them in Revelation 2, their doctrine was right, but their heart was not in the right place. And so Paul told Timothy what it was this church needed to do to get itself on track. First Timothy 1 is almost entirely introduction. First Timothy 2, we get into what this church is supposed to do. Look at chapter 2 in verse 1. I exhort therefore, look at this phrase, that first of all, I don't know that these are the first works, but I believe this very well may be it. That first of all, look here, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks may be made for all men. What are the first works? Quite possibly it is supplications, the praying for others, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Do you understand this tonight? When you are and I are doing these things, supplicating, praying, interceding, and giving of thanks, uh, giving of thanks, do you know what's going to end up happening? We're going to hold on to that first love. We're going to stay madly in love with our Lord. I want to ask you a question tonight, and I want you to listen carefully to my question. 
And I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you have an active, robust prayer life? Do you and the Lord speak with each other? So we got this false perception. We have this false perception. I go to church every week. I'm a good person. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the first works. That's built upon the personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you actively walking with God day in and day out? Do you take and lay your burdens at His feet? In all thy ways, do you acknowledge Him so He can direct your paths? I've been married to my wife for 16 years. The sweetest communications, as far as ooey-gooey goes, happened when we were dating. Couldn't get enough of each other. Loved to spend time with her. Loved to talk to her. Hours on the phone with her. We were dating right when text message was just first becoming a thing. And you had to do it on the T9 keyboard. I remember sending texts on a T9 keyboard. You with me? And you know what? The punching out of the letters and emojis weren't a thing. And, and, and the hours of type, type, typing out and texting back and forth and the writing of love letters and the, being in each other's presence. You know what? Those times of communication were sweet. But I can tell you right now how I can really quick fall out of love with Angela and she can really quick fall out of love with me. We stopped talking to each other. If we stop talking to each other, it's just a matter of time. Though her feelings toward me dry up, and my feelings toward her dry up. A married couple has to communicate in a way that's appropriate and loving and caring for that relationship to work. Do you think it's any difference between you and your Savior? Do you think that you can be in love with Jesus and never talk to Him? Oh, well, I go to church and I pray in church. Yeah, but praying in church is different than praying on your own. you understand that tonight? You have to stay in touch with the Lord one-on-one. And some of you here tonight have never developed a prayer life. And I'm here to challenge you tonight to give your heart to the Lord and learn to walk with Him and learn to love Him and make Him the priority in your heart and your life. And as you repeat these behaviors, what you're going to find is that you're back in love with Jesus. Maybe for some of you tonight, you need to go back and remember that time where you and Jesus were very close. Others of you here tonight need to get on your knees and repent and tell the Lord, we're going to rekindle this thing. And others of you here tonight need to promise God you're going to develop a prayer life. and Leave here committed to do that. So I ask you tonight, have you left your first love? Have you fallen out of love with the one who loved you and died to save your soul? Have you grown indifferent to the one who showers you daily with benefits and blessings? Have you left your first love? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, tonight, would you help us to be honest with ourselves? Lord God, I don't want this church, I don't think any of us want this church to be guilty of what the church of Ephesus was guilty of. Oh, the parallels run deep. Doctrinally solid, serving, separated, steadfast. Lord, some of us here tonight have lost our first love. 
Lord God, may there be a legitimate sorrow that leads to true repentance. God, work in each heart tonight during this invitation. For those in here tonight that are deeply in love with you, help that love to grow deeper and stronger as a result of the preaching tonight. In Jesus' name.